Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hey, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. I've got a real estate entrepreneur guest here on the DJE Podcast, Juan Ruan, uh, based in San Francisco. Got a brokerage that's doing hundreds and hundreds of houses. So we break that down, what it's like in California, you know, buying these houses or having a brokerage. They're also flipping houses out there. This is like million dollar plus flips that they're doing. And then buying rentals a little uh, further south in Sacramento and kind of talk about structuring that, how they finance them. Um, and what I've been getting into a lot lately is how these entrepreneurs are, are building businesses, how they're taking care of themselves, how they're sharpening the saw, getting better and growing organizations, despite maybe some economic headwinds that we're facing, right? So we're talking in mid uh, 2023, we've got sky high interest rates and, and all these other headwinds, but uh, Juan and his team are like, they're, they're going for it, right? And so that's, that's what I like to see, that uh, entrepreneurial spirit. And uh, it was a good conversation around that. He's an uh, uh, interesting immigration story. His parents immigrated from China to Mexico and where he spent his first 10 years of his life and then um, came to America at age 10 and got into entrepreneurship and reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad and getting into real estate. And, and here we are now um, where he's running all these businesses today. So really cool story. Nice guy, very intelligent guy. We had a good talk. I think you're going to enjoy it. We'll get a message from our sponsors. If you can leave us a five-star review for the DJE podcast that helps the reach, I appreciate it. We'll have a word from our sponsors and then get into the podcast with Juan. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by DJE Texas Management Group, a San Antonio, Texas-based real estate investment firm with a track record of transacting on several hundred million dollars of multifamily land and industrial deals throughout Texas. DJE's been in business for over a decade and is approaching 100 team members in San Antonio. To learn more about DJE, visit djetexas.com or the link in the show notes of this episode. This episode's also brought to you by apartmenteducators.com, a complete ecosystem for professionals to learn how to find, finance, and operate large multifamily properties for profit. You can get started with a free mini course and learn more at apartmenteducators.com or visit the link in the notes. Juan, welcome to the show. How are you? Nice to see you. I'm great. Thank you for having me, Devin, and uh, being able to share with your audience. So super excited for this. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. We were talking a little bit in the green room about uh, some of the things you've been into, but you know, we're both real estate guys and family family men, and, and there's kind of a whole journey there that uh, we've obviously gone through, but Let's kind of start uh, at the beginning. I, I want to understand what was your path to to real estate and kind of how you got turned on to that, and then and then what was you know specifically kind of that path or drive to to entrepreneurship. Love to kind of hear that how people have gone through that journey. Yeah, I'll, I'll just start uh, quickly with uh, my parents' background because I think it really inspired my journey uh, to become an entrepreneur or even be interested in business. Uh, they're both immigrants from China. So they came here in the 80s and they immigrated to Mexico first for some reason. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, extended family there. So they went from China to Mexico. Uh, they spent about 20 years there. And I spent my first 10 years uh, in a town called uh, Mexicali, Mexico. Sure, uh, sure. 
it's a, it's a border town uh, to California. Yep. So I spent the first 10 years in Mexico, got great perspective, what it would look like to uh, grow up in a, you know, third world country, if you would call it, and seeing my parents sacrifice and uh, own a restaurant and work very, very long hours. Right. So when I came as a 10 year old to the United States, I had a different perspective about what hard work was and even um, what it looked like to sacrifice. And I think I started working really young at my parents' restaurant, like serving tables, washing dishes and doing uh, the whole thing, trying to be helpful. So yep. I wasn't like I was exposed to hard work right away. So at 18 years old, I was in college at UC San Diego, uh, getting a mechanical engineering degree, working three jobs at the same time. And then uh, someone invited me um, to work for a marketing agency. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the first essentially entrepreneurship or like um, business that I really started uh, being a direct seller for telecommunication services. And yeah, I did that for um, eight years, uh, along with other ventures that I started within the real estate space as well. Very cool. And so you, were you like 18, 19 when you started working for the marketing company? I was 18 years old. And then yeah. I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It is, yeah. Through that opportunity, yeah. and, and it just changed changed everything for me. I mean, I literally transitioned. I switched from mechanical engineering to business, and uh, just had a completely different understanding of what it looked like to be financially free and have assets, and uh, rather than you know uh, uh, just buying liabilities, buying the house to live in, and and that kind of sort of thing. Sure, yeah, it's a complete game changer for for a lot of people, myself included. I want to go back to your parents. Was it was it easier to immigrate to Mexico versus the U.S., or was it just kind of a, the connections that they already had in Mexico? I think it was probably a little bit easier. Yeah. I don't know if this is for a fact or not, but I heard that in the '80s, the people that were coming straight into uh, the U.S. were doing it in like a not fully documented way. They sure. were okay. here first, and then figure out a way on how to get documentation yeah. versus. Um, what my parents ended up doing is that they did have extended family in Mexico. And I think I, I learned that they came on a borrowed plane ticket. So someone let them borrow the money to fly there. I think they were starting to work there. Uh, and then they became Mexican citizens and then applied to become U.S. citizens, um, which was a really long journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. That's a very, a very unique story. Obviously, you lived it, but that's not a back. That's not a journey that you hear uh, a bunch, or at least I haven't heard. So that's, that's interesting perspective, like you mentioned. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. for sure. So, um, so you're you're exposed to this entrepreneurship concept, rich dad, poor dad. You're working for a marketing company. When was the the real estate kind of element introduced? Uh, well, let's kind of zoom out real quick for everybody listening. What's a current snapshot of what you guys are doing in the in the real estate world? Yes. So currently, right now, um, the biggest thing I do, like on a day-to-day -day basis is uh, running our boutique real estate brokerage. So yep. we're 60 real estate agents between uh, three offices. We have one co-working space in San Francisco yep. and we sold about 355 homes last year um, with 300 plus million. Um, we invest in real estate in the sense of fix and flips here in the local Bay area in California uh, yep. around San Francisco area. And then we own rental properties out in the Sacramento market, um, also in, in Northern California. Gotcha. So lots of different real estate investments, a ton of transaction volume. Well, I'm not in the residential space, but that sounds like a lot of lot of volume, especially for a 
you know, a, a boutique brokerage. Um, what was your on-ramp to real estate in, in general? You're working at this marketing company, exposed to these entrepreneurial ideas. H- how did it, how did it transition to real estate? Yeah. I mean, I think that this is kind of the behind the scenes uh, of what happens as an entrepreneur, quote unquote. Right. So I moved to the Bay area in 2015 mm-hmm. uh, and when I first moved here, I essentially had started a business in San Diego uh, moved to uh, the Bay Area in 2015 and essentially starting to build a business from scratch again because right. no contacts, no network, no business going on. So literally, I was going to events to network with people. Um, I would jump on Eventbrite. I would jump on meetup.com and essentially just go to events of where I would think that I could meet prospects for the marketing company. Yeah. And I would essentially go to places where I felt like I could meet other entrepreneurs, like real estate meetups and um, certain things like that. And through that entire journey, um, as I was new and prospecting all these different things, like I was starting a business from scratch. So I was doing things on the side. Like I was literally like doing gigs on the side to, you know, make, make extra money. And one of my buddies that I had met, um, he, we were actually building uh, furniture, uh, for like an hourly rate. Right. So essentially right. One of the buddies that I had met, he was like, Hey, do you want to come and, uh, help me build furniture, uh, for this guy? He has like four apartment unit buildings. He's like building furniture for, mm-hmm. and I was like, who has four apartment buildings that they're building furniture for? That's strange. But I was like, right. I think, I think we were charging like 75 bucks an hour. So I was like, sure, let's go do it. Right. Yeah. Uh, make sure it's like, like all day. man, everybody each, you guys make 75 bucks. It what was that each of you guys was making 75 bucks. An yeah. Hour. Each of us. That's not, bad. Of us. that's not bad work. Yeah. Oh no, for sure. That's what we we're doing. It <laughs> putting together like Ikea stuff. Yeah. Ikea stuff. It's crazy because here in the Bay area, we got up to like over hundred bucks an hour at one point, but uh, <laughs> that's wild. That's, that's for another story. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, we're building these things and you know, I get to meet the guy and he's like, Oh yeah, you know, I'm actually uh, furnishing these uh, apartments for Airbnb. Right. Uh-huh. And I was like, Oh, this is interesting. Um, so I ended up going and um, he offered me this opportunity to manage his little portfolio that he had here in the Bay Area, where he was doing master leases on luxury apartment buildings and doing the rental arbitrage model with Airbnb. Yeah. yeah. But we started with yeah. about 15 units. units. Yeah. We started with about 15 units. And then I jumped into it thinking like, I'm going to learn the business and be able to eventually do this myself. Yep. So that's what ended up happening. Uh, me and my business partner ended up partnering. And then we uh, started our own uh, Airbnbs as well, alongside managing these. So between uh, you know a handful of partners, by 2020, we had scaled from 15 units uh, to 105 listings in, in 2020. Uh, right before before COVID and the pandemic between yep. the Bay Area from San Jose, California, all the way to San Francisco. And then we had a handful of ju- units in uh, Sacramento, Midtown, uh, California as well. That's really cool. So the arbitrage model, right? Is that kind of, so you're not having to buy a house and find a down payment and put up a bunch of capital. You're saying, we're going to rent this apartment for 1500 bucks. We think we could gross I don't know, 2,500 a month off Airbnb. What were kind of the metrics there? And, and how are you guys, um, how are you guys getting approved for leases, right? We lease a lot of apartment complexes and I could see that raising some eyebrows. You somebody young trying to take up a block of leases. How are you, how are you getting around that? Yeah. So in regards to the numbers is we were collecting about one and a half times rent. 
cool. That was, okay. that was pretty much like the equation. Uh, and the way we were able to do it is in the beginning, there was so much rejection because like you said, there's no model, right? There's right. no, um, you know, what do you have to prove? So in the beginning right. is a lot of rejection, but once we had a few listings under our belt, it was quite simple because every, every apartment, large apartment complex usually has a five to 10% vacancy rate. That's so let's right. say, 100 units, they usually have five to 10 units that are vacant every single time of the year. Yeah. So we come in and say, hey, uh, we're going to bridge your vacancy rate, right? So it's going to be a win for you because the five, 10 units that you have vacant right now, we'll take them all. And we're going to pay top dollar rent. The yep. only the only thing is that we're going to have to, you know, we're going to use it as a, as a short-term rental. Sure. So a lot of them were open once we had an example to show like, hey, you know, this property down the street is doing it. That big management company is willing to give us a shot. And this is how we're running it. And we're doing it in a very professional way. Um, and I learned something within that business is that you have to learn what customer you're serving, right? Mm -hmm. For example, even though we are, our homes, our listings were not fully booked, we didn't go under a certain rate, nightly rate, right. because we knew that after you go down that nightly rate, you get a different client base. Yep, so sure. We were converting the person that usually stays at a Hyatt, at a Marriott, at a Westin. Those were the clients that we were targeting. And we were providing amenities, you know, the interior design, all these different things in order to serve that customer. Right. So we knew that it was a very specific client we were serving. And they're not the type of person that is going to go there and trash the place or whatever the case may be. Right. Yeah, mm -hmm. business travel. What kind of nightly rates just ballpark? I mean, the Bay Area is a big, big range, man. But yeah. Um, yeah, on on like a two bed, two bath. I mean, our, our rents were like four grand a month on some of these areas. Like there was one um one apartment complex right down the street from from Meta from Facebook. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people would do business travel for that reason. For sure. Yeah. So yeah, we would charge um probably like two, three hundred dollars a night for two bed, two bath, kitchen, two bath, uh, you know, everything fully. Pretty sweet deal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something like that. Um, some of our homes, like our single family homes, three bed, two bath homes closer to San Francisco, um, in the when it was really busy, I mean, they would go up to like, I don't know, maybe five, six hundred dollars a night sometimes. Mm -hmm. I think uh, there was one that I remember clearly. We furnished this property uh, right next to San Francisco in a town called Daly City. Okay. And the first month it went live on the market in the middle of the summer. Uh, I think our all-in expense was thirty five hundred, and we grossed like twelve grand uh, month <laughs> one. And we're like, all right, cool. That that takes care of uh, the rest of the year. Yeah, but uh, yep. very very difficult now to do. I think that when we were doing it, it was more, um, you know, it was more new. Now there's so much uh, so much to it. The city changed their ordinances, and yeah. it's a really different game. Did say uh, yeah, that's always kind of been in my mind on the short-term rental. I've had a few, but we don't have them anymore. Never really did a big focus on it. I read that Dallas like completely banned it. I don't know. I haven't studied it much, but uh, what did say? What has San Francisco done? Has changed it a lot? Banned it? I mean, what's where's that at? I mean, technically, they do allow it with short-term rental licenses, and there's a lot of red tape all in between. Here's yeah. what I've learned out of the whole experience myself is that. A lot of people think that it's real estate investing, but you're starting a hospitality company. Yes. So if you're fully committed to growing and scaling a hospitality company, it can be a great cash cow. Sure. But if you're thinking about doing it for you to make an extra buck a month, right, then I think that, you know, real estate investing in its true nature is owning real estate 
making cash flow and allowing time to let appreciation to work in your favor. Right. Rental arbitrage, Airbnb doesn't do that for you. I yep. think what it does do is make an okay deal a good deal. Right. Right. One of my friends just bought a new construction home, three bed, two bath um, in the 500 range and their mortgage is all in $3,500. The rents are like $3,200 in the area, but because they're airbnb it, they're going to make like 500 bucks a month or something like that. So yeah. it makes an okay deal a good deal for you to wait long enough. So when the appreciation goes up and then the rents go up or whatever the case may be, you're yeah. in a construction area, right? But now with some appreciation and, and cash flowing. So I think it's a good, a good solution for that. Um, I don't recommend it for someone that is just, you know, specifically looking to real estate investing and then just trying to use that approach because it's easier to get in. Right. Good distinction. It's a different business model. Hospitality is a completely, completely different animal. So what, um, let's talk about the, the brokerage, you know, uh, it seems like a lot of growth year over year in terms of adding agents, adding number of deals closed. Um, what was the, what was the origin of that? Is this, um, you know, you were selling houses, you know, and it's grown a ton. I just kind of want to hear the journey of how you've been able to do that up to the amount of agents you guys have now. Yeah. So my business partner, Kevin Cruz, is the one that founded um, this company called Kinetic Real Estate. And he and I actually built a couple of other businesses before, um, mm -hmm. you know, we we jumped on Kinetic Real Estate. But he was an agent, um, a top agent, started as a solo agent, sold a dozen houses, next year sold 30 houses, next year sold 40 houses. And then uh, there's a brokerage called Side Inc., right, that we're partnered with. Essentially, they partner with top agents and they help you develop and grow your own business. Cool. They provide like 30, 40% operational back end. So he got the opportunity to start Kinetic Real Estate in 2019. Um, at the time, we had started an Airbnb short-term rental company together. And then right. we went into real estate um, investing uh, together, flipping homes and, and buying rentals. So my background is in sales and training and leadership development even in the marketing uh in the marketing company that was my role um i was essentially like a regional director where i would recruit train and equip sales agents to go out in the marketplace and um, be able to do business so once we merged his sales experience as a top agent and then i came in to more figure out how to develop and create you know, a, a culture and things like that, then we really started to scale. So the numbers are, are 2020, we did 82 transactions with 58 million in volume. 2021, we did 248 transactions with 212 million in volume. Last year, we did 355 transactions with 324 million in volume. And this year, we should be somewhere in the range of 400 million in volume um, plus. So that's that's kind of like how that played out. I think we merged two different skill sets together and then it helped really uh, foster this culture of young, hungry, entrepreneur-minded, um, using, leveraging real estate sales in order to essentially just change their life. Like we're, we're doing personal development, book clubs together, like health challenges. Like we're literally doing cool. like all of these different ways of growing and just using real estate sales as a main, um, you know, platform of how we're transitioning this all into like a financial uh play yeah that's really cool and i imagine you're attracting a certain sort of uh agent by doing that right by having that focus right right exactly it's really the person that wants to grow is young hungry and 
you know, just really trying to do something. I think a lot of us come from families that really didn't have much. Sure. So then, you know, people are willing to come here, you know, work hard, pay the price and um, just testimonies, right, of people that have been with us for a handful of years, like literally go from zero to, you know, their first hundred grand, 200 grand, 300 grand, like half a million bucks, right? Like people have broken a million GCI in our company. So it's just uh, created that buzz of what's possible, right? Really just by by doing the work. Yeah. Yeah. And they can see it and they can, mm -hmm. they can mimic those people that have been successful. I love it. Uh, that's a pretty big organization. You guys are spread out across multiple offices. Is are some people fully remote? How do you handle how do you handle that piece with also trying to maintain culture and have some cohesion there? That is the toughest thing. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. we're 60, yeah, we're about 60, you know, uh 60 plus agents right now. Our main office is in a city called Daily City, right next to San Francisco. Mm -hmm. We have an office in Sacramento, uh, California, where we have um eight, eight to ten agents there. And then we have a co-working space from our partner um, in San Francisco. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. So then between those three offices is where everyone really works. But real estate sales is like you can work from home. So yeah. We do yeah, we do like weekly uh, team huddles every Wednesday in order to get everyone on the same page, whether it's on Zoom or in person. Um, but then, yeah, I think the hardest part is as we grow as an organization to keep that um, relationship culture piece. So we do like quarterly events and things like that, that we're doing our best to, um, keep everyone on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I like it. So many cool tech tools and there's pros and cons to both, but, um, I appreciate your insight on, on kind of keeping that cohesion there. And then what's the game. I mean, it's a lot of growth, right. Over a short period of years, game plan to just keep, keep going. And do you have kind of the scaffolding instructor and structure from this, this partner that you have on, on kind of scaling back office training to, to just keep going or what's the game plan with the, with the brokerage? Yeah. So our goal is to do a billion in, sa in uh, sales volume uh, yeah. over the next 24 months. So we want to do one calendar year, 12 months and do a billion dollars in sales volume, Love not it. for any other reason than to take on a challenge that yeah, it's a BHAG. possible. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, the reality of it all, as far as the brokerage goes, is that we've really used the brokerage more as a way to attract and develop talent, right. um, where the brokerage model in any shape or form nowadays, it's not a, an extremely profitable business. But right. I think what it does is that it does build brand recognition and opens doors for a lot of different other um, opportunities. Right. And we're really using it as a platform to help other, you know, people to give them a way to change their life. Cause the agent is the one that really benefits from the brokerage model, not the brokerage. If that makes sense. Sure. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. For it's sure. a lot of managing people, expenses, right. Operational costs. Like there's a lot that goes into the brokerage, yep. um, but the agents like literally seeing agents come in, uh, we have our sales director before I wouldn't share his name, but he's okay with me sharing. His name is Leo. He came in, um, he came into our organization at 21 years old, uh, oh. in 2020 as a T-Mobile sales, uh, manager or something along the lines. And he changed his life, literally changed his life. Went That's full so cool. time year one, yeah. sold 12 homes year one, sold 30 oh, homes year two. Right. And I mean, these are like big commission, you know, uh, uh, properties out here. So 
like, you know, bought his first property, bought his first luxury car. Like it's, it's, it's crazy to me. I was like, there's no price, uh, you know, that you can put to that. Right. Yeah. Young kid changing his life. So it's 3% commission, right? Uh, Is that Uh, two and a half to three somewhere? Two and a half to three on what kind of a, is California. I'm in Texas. So this is different deals. Million dollar houses, half a million. So our, our company average right now uh, on the 355 deals we did last year was 850,000 nice. um, per unit. However, because we are between Bay Area and Sacramento, Sacramento sometimes it's like three, four, five hundred thousand, six hundred thousand. Sure. In the Bay Area, sometimes it's like 1 million, 1.2. Like a house just went in the market uh, this morning. Um, you know, that, that we're listing and it's like 1.5 list price and probably going to go over, you know, a uh, hundred, 200 grand over. So yeah. yeah. What's 1.5 get you right now. We're talking in July, 2023. What's 1.5 million get you in San Francisco. Uh, it's so funny. Three bed, two bath, uh, 1500 square feet and yeah. a nice view. So yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Like seventies, vintage sixties, vintage. Exactly. Built in probably like the fifties, man. Fifties. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, that's, that's about right out here. Man. So you guys have some good volume. Uh, what about rates? You know, I mean, rates, you see mortgage rates, sevens, you know, mm-hmm. um, is that, that's not slowing people down or what, what's, how's that impacting you guys? Well, last year, uh, full disclosure is that we were shooting for 500 units last year. And we ended up at 355 because of the big market regression that we oh, saw. Yeah, sure. um, so we ended up, yeah, we ended up growing about 50 some percent last year. And I heard that there was like a 30% regression based yeah. off of this current market. Yeah. So, so yes, we definitely see an impact, but I think that we have adopted the mindset of no matter what's happening to the market or the conditions of what's going around, there's going to be people that are transact regardless. Someone yep. has to sell, someone has to buy. So yep. let's look for the few opportunities. Like if a hundred homes were sold in a normal month, but now it's 60, well, how can we be the resource to go to when those 60 transact, right? Yep. Um, I heard in the NAR, National Association of Realtors, about 80,000 uh, agents have exited um, in over the, you know, over the last like six to 12 months. Yeah. But then our job is like, great, is even more room, you know, Good. more room yeah. for, for our agents to rise. Yep. Yep. That's right. Um, clear, clear out some of the riffraff out of the, out of the ranks there. Um, and that's great going, going from 500 to 350 and in the face of 10 consecutive rate hikes, mm-hmm. like I'll take it. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah. You, you, you do what you can. You know, the funniest thing is we were beating ourselves up, right? Like our whole leadership team was like, man, we like felt so short, et cetera. And then we went to our brokerage event and we won like the most awards. (laughs) (laughs) We were like literally beating ourselves up for the first two months of the year. And then, uh, you know, we, we ended up going to this awards uh, ceremony and we literally took like uh, top sales growth, top volume growth, top year over year growth, took rookie of the year. Like it was crazy. Yeah. And I think that at that moment, it, it was kind of like, okay, we're on the right track. Like, let's just keep doing what we're doing. But yeah. we really didn't start the year, like in the best periods. So, yeah. well, that's good, man. It means you care. It means you're sticking to your goals. I mean, any, anybody can just lower their goals and feel better, but no, you want to try and stick to them regardless of the externalities. And so, uh, yeah, but I bet that was nice to hear. Right. Yeah. It was some confirmation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you're just grinding away and it, it feels like uh, you're not getting anywhere. 
Um, I love it, man. Well, that's that's awesome, and it's really inspiring to hear. I'm glad you guys are getting deals done, even with uh, with rates where they are. But people aren't selling and buying houses because they're bored. They're doing it for you know big life changes, marriages, divorces, job changes, like kind of probably because they have to, you know. And the rate's going to be what the rate's going to be, right? So, yeah, we're in the process of selling a handful of rentals that I've had for for years and years. We, we started with a dozen, we're down to seven. They're moving a little slower, you know. Um, days on markets higher, stuff like that, but they're moving, you know, they're moving. It's, it's like everything. It's not, it's not gridlocked. It's just a little slower than we've seen. Yeah. What I found also is that the, the single family home and first time home buyer market is always going to be way better than the investor market yep. because the investor is waiting for the rates. They're much more logical pulling yep. the trigger when it makes sense. Right. When the first time home buyers, like if they're going to have a baby, they're going to buy a house. Right. Oh, or, yeah. Very gonna, right. So then like, you know, everything that is like moving ready, right. Fully staged, fully vacant, yeah. uh, ready Make to show wife happy. On pictures. Exactly, bro. Like those are going to move all the time, no matter what market. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. Well, let's talk about some of the investment side stuff. Um, especially, you know, or I wanted to ask, is it all in California that you guys are doing the investment side? Or are you spreading out to nationwide or what? And, and what kind of, what does an investment project look like for you guys? Yes, uh, all of them in California right now. We do want to invest out of state, but the reality is uh, we just don't have a team and don't feel confident enough to uh, yeah. home court advantage out right? of the state right now. Uh, but we're open. We're definitely open. Um, yeah, so we started with flipping houses in the Bay Area. Usually, the 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 margins are are pretty lucrative here because of the price points. So right. yeah, so we. We've done a total of six, 12, 14 projects over the last 24 months. Um, And they're all like within the million dollar range. We acquire them between 800,000 to a million. And then the ARVs on them are usually like 1.3 to 1.6 ish, somewhere around the range. Um, So that's what we do short term. Uh, so any play that is short term, we do that here in the Bay Area, and then we buy rentals out in Sacramento because they cash flow better. Nice. Mm-hmm. On the acquisitions in San Francisco, is this you going through wholesalers? Are you do you have your own marketing machine? You know what I felt. I feel like the acquisition side is kind of one of the trickiest parts of eh, flipping's tricky all the way through, but you get you got to find deals and you got to find them at a decent basis. So how how are you guys accomplishing that? Yeah, that's the hardest part. I think we've yeah. done every channel. We've attempted like direct to seller. Yep. Um, we've attempted wholesalers. We bought from wholesalers before. But I think that what we found the most um, big of a win-win situation is usually the seller that needs to list their house, but it's not in any condition ready to be listed. Yep. Whether they need to move fast, right? It's a probate sale. Um, they have no you know, interest in investing or putting any money into the home. Yep. It's, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's junk, it's mold, like wouldn't even qualify for a loan. And a lot of those, we will give them the opportunity to say, Hey, you know, we do have a service where we can pay an all cash uh, offer and be able to do it quickly. Right. We pay for your movers, pay for the junking, whatever the case may be. Yeah. So those are the best opportunities we found. And we've found like other agents now will bring up, bring us off market opportunities because they know we can take those on as well. Um, so that that's what I was sharing with you, right? Like the brokerage, what it has allowed is like this network and this brand to be extended to right. 
people know also we're investors. So then we'll get opportunities that way. Um, Mm-hmm. It's cast a very wide net. You've got you've got the the tentacles out there kind of all the time. Are you funding it with hard money, personal, you know, private lending? How do you how do you get to how do you get a million dollar flip funded? Yep. Uh, so we de- we pay the down payment and then um, and we do hard money. Yeah. Nice. Yep. Unlimited capital there. It's not mm-hmm. cheap, but you got access to unlimited capital. So uh, yeah. yeah, I like it. I like it. And then Sacramento, more of kind of a a rental market with stuff in that, what do you say, the 500 K range kind of valuation? It's kind of crazy, man. We found some few, a uh, few deals down there. So we bought when no one else was buying when the interest rates yep. were like changing last year. Yep. There's duplex that we picked up for, I think like 320,000 put in 50,000 into it. It's probably worth like 500 right now. Um, yep. yep. Cash flows. Single family home, picked it up for like 220, put in 60 into it, um, probably worth like over 300 and change. Um, cash flow is very little. So things like that. Uh, we ended up doing one deal where we did a 1031 out of a big flip that we did here and held it for a little bit um, and moved it out to Sacramento, bought our first little multifamily eight unit um, deal out there. Um, so yeah, I think it, it, we're, we're still figuring out what our like real buy box niches yeah. to me in the investment world, like depending on the opportunity that shows up, you just got to know how to underwrite it. Um, but eventually we do want to go into like a bigger multifamily, um, uh, space. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Very cool. So you've got a lot of stuff going on. You've got the investments, you've got the brokerage. What, what keeps you, you know, how do you sharpen the saw? How do you stay work on yourself as an entrepreneur to keep all these things going and, and growing, kind of moving in the right direction? How do, you, how do you take care of yourself and 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 stay sharp? Yeah, I think it was the toughest once we had our son. Uh, yeah, he's nine and a half months old. I think before it was much easier to like take all this on and and just power through it. Uh, right. But now having another priority and responsibility, it's been a great challenge to learn how to uh, manage my time better. Sure. Uh, and I think it's very cliche to say, uh, but really just prioritizing on what is worth my time to do and what can take a little bit more back burner. But have you heard of 75 hard before? I've heard of it, but I don't I don't know what it is. I might have just seen it around social media or something. So it's a program for you to train your mental challenge, uh, uh, your mental toughness, but it's 75 days and you have to follow seven different items, which is two workouts a day of 45 minutes each. At least one of them has to be outdoors. You follow a meal plan uh, with no alcohol and no cheat meals. You drink one gallon of water a day. You read 10 pages a day. Um, What else is on there? You take a progress picture a day. And I think that those are it, or, or there might be one more, something along the lines. Sure. We have to do this for 75 days straight. And if you fall off one day, you start over day one. I love it. <laughs> and uh, you have to do 75 uh, days all over again. So I'll do things like this in order yeah. for me to stay disciplined, um, to take care of myself. Yeah. Right. Is there accountability um, like with a group where you're sharing the photo? So or- we, re- we randomly just put a group together the last, uh, the last, maybe two weeks and we have 30 people on a WhatsApp group uh, okay, cool. all doing it together. Yeah. So that's pretty cool, but we're in day five, but I'll do things like that for me to stay on top of like having clarity on, on what I am doing in order to invest in myself. Yeah. So 
yeah, just being consistent and like getting a workout in the morning. Um, I usually listen to a podcast or an audiobook while I'm working out to be able to just ground myself and start the day uh, prime properly. That way, everything that else that comes through the day, I'm I'm almost in a sense of like an overflow rather than like survival, right? Getting through through it yeah. all. So, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. I love it. Thanks for sharing that, man. Um, cool. Well, what's what's ahead kind of for the rest of the year? We're talking mid-year 2023, interesting year for real estate. What are you guys trying to do kind of for the rest of the year and, and into next year? Yeah, I, I think the the biggest thing right now is just figuring out what's going on. Uh, right. I think it's so volatile. Everything is so volatile, but just okay. getting ready for opportunities within the real estate investment space. Um, really excited uh, to continue to grow the brokerage and just connect with other people and think bigger. Uh, like I, I was sharing with you, we're, we're looking eventually to get into bigger commercial properties yeah. um, in the multifamily space and even in uh, retail and things like that. So just networking and being able to think much bigger, um, you know, through through events and and people that we get to network with, um, including yourself, man, like, you know, yeah, being in your great. podcast, talking to your audience and yeah. connecting with someone like you uh, in another state, right? Also doing real estate investing. So yeah. those are the things that are, are pretty exciting. And then our family is doing, uh, we're doing our, our um, one-year-old's birthday uh, in Hawaii, right? So we're looking yeah. forward awesome. to that in September. And oh, it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we'll do a family trip and things like that. So um, yeah, that's kind of like what's in the near, near future. Very cool. Well, um, it was great to catch up. Love hearing your journey. Love hearing what you guys are working on and, and how you're building it. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a champion for entrepreneurs. So love seeing people going out there and, and doing it. Um, if we could point anybody to connect with you, the company, learn more about what you're doing, how, how should they do that one? Yeah. So, uh, for me personally on Instagram would probably be the easiest. And then my username is at R U A N, which is my last name, R U A N dot dynasty D Y N A S T Y. And then company is at, uh, kinetic underscore real estate, um, on Instagram as well. So those are the easiest ways to reach out. If you have any questions or anything more than happy to share more, be a resource here in the area. Awesome, man. We'll link to that in the show notes. If you're listening, you can go through the description and click through, follow the both. You guys, uh, success in your head. Awesome. All right, we'll see you. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.